Uh, If you got a bulletin this morning, uh, you looked on the back of it, you'll see our sermon title and text. Um, I uh, get a little note or reminder from Angela Zerk, our church administrator, because whenever somebody's preaching, she harasses, I mean reminds us that we're supposed to turn in our sermon title and text. And I'm not really good at sermon titles. Uh, Pastor Peter's exceptional at that. Um, but I suck at it. And can I say that? In a, say that? Okay. Uh, I'm pretty bad. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to get uh, a title. And so uh, Katie Sanford is in the office on Friday and she's looking at the back cover of the bullet and she says, get saved. That sounds very black. And so, and so Angela comes in and tells me, said, well, did you tell her that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm black? I think she knows, but uh, even though I didn't come up with the title, it's actually the title of the chapter in the book. So uh, just in case, uh, I hope I'm not making anybody uncomfortable, but if you didn't know, I am a black man and I did write uh, the title. Katie already knew that, of course, but uh, I thought it was a wonderful thing to embarrass her this morning. You're welcome. Anytime. Yeah. As Pastor Peter said uh, during our announcements, we're in the middle, uh, actually the latter end. We're going into the latter end of our sermon series now from the book Unchristian. And what I, what I want to do this morning is have you, while I'm talking, think about uh, when you became a Christian. Think about, uh, as I uh, talked to you, sp- particularly early on, how it was that you uh, heard what I will come to call the question uh, and how you came into uh, the Christian life. And I, I want to open by just reading the first words of the title in Unchristian, uh, from from a person named Sean. They, they, they quote Sean here. And Sean says, Christians are too concerned with converting people. They are insincere. All I ever hear is get saved. I tried that whole Jesus thing already. It didn't work for me before. I'm not interested now. Sometimes when Pastor Peter preaches, he says, when Pastor preaches, he says, if I do my job today, and uh, I'll say that, I want to bite from him and say, if I do my job well today, you will walk away with, with an understanding of conversion that hopefully reflects what Jesus means when he's talking about conversion. If, if I do my job, you'll walk away with some ideas on how our church, on how you individually can respond to the perception of outsiders, as unchristian calls them, who think that all Christians are concerned about is making converts. Now, right at the beginning, for those of you that I'll lose in, in another minute, if, you, if you're still with me, I want to tell you that all God is concerned about is you converting. But that conversion that God wants you to go through doesn't look like what we've made it out to be. When I first learned about getting saved, when I first learned about evangelism and and sharing my faith, I learned it from uh, a a woman, uh, Mother Flowers. And I grew up calling her Miss Flowers, Mother Flowers. Uh, She 
she was uh, the person that started, she is the person that started my home church's resource center. And she led the, the center for about 10, 12 years. And uh, she, she was responsible for basically all of the outreach at the church. She was the go-to person for anything related to outreach. And so all of the after-school programs, tutoring, GED, the substance abuse stuff, the, the uh, food pantry, uh, counseling, sort of mentoring, she, she had a hand in, in most of that. But at the center of all of her activity was evangelism. She was and still is most concerned about sharing faith. And so if you were to get in a conversation with Mother Flowers today, uh, if you talk to her for more than three minutes, you would talk to her about you and Jesus. You would. You would talk to her for three to five minutes and the conversation in some way is going to move along to your spiritual life. And so what happened when I was growing up as a boy and even uh, as, a, as a young adult, uh, the people in our church would look to Mrs. Flowers, would look to Mother Flowers because she was so skilled and so capable. She was very effective, is very effective in sharing faith, in, 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 in calling people uh, to the gospel, if you will in helping people, confronting people on asking the question, how you are with God. And so uh, people would take notes from her. She would, you know, in, a, in, in her own way, teach people about evangelism. And, 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 and what happened uh, in my life, probably, and some of you can relate to this, Mother Flowers began to be the evangelism go-to person and people would, would take notes. They would kind of learn about evangelism and all they would do is basically go to the question. They would go to the question. They would lose their memory about how Mother Flowers would, would get to know people or be in relationship with folks. They would sort of drop the idea uh, that she actually spent time with people. And every time she walked away from folks, uh, they would know where she lived, her phone number. She would know something about them. They would maintain relationships. What happened in our churches? we would drop all of that and go straight to the question because the question was most important in making converts. The question was most important in getting people to accept Jesus. And the question sounded something like, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior? Or my personal favorite, and I started to do this for the title, if you die tonight, <laughs> where would you spend eternity? People would go straight to the question. And the question uh, and, and I don't want to debunk the question and, and the use of the question in whatever form it comes because the truth of the matter is God has used, is using, and will use those kinds of conversations, those kinds of questions. At some point, every person who follows Jesus Christ has to answer a question like that. In some form or another, you decide what your relationship with God is going to look like. You hear and you respond. I hear and I respond. So, so, so we, we, what happens though is we minimize uh, the Christian life. We minimize conversion to the question. 
And when we minimize to the question, we lose a very important part of the gospel. We lose a very important part of our evangelism. We, we concentrate, in other words, on, on being saved from something and we forget about the fact that we have been saved for something. The truth of the matter is God is concerned that we convert. God wants you to hear the story of Jesus Christ, to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to change over to that. God wants you to to hear the message of Jesus Christ and make a decision about it. God has a plan, a design a rule or a kingdom and in order to participate in it we join with that kingdom with that movement but when we reduce conversion to answering a question to quote accepting Jesus we do damage to the story the gospel of Jesus Christ biblical conversion is is uh, a a, a lifelong decision. Sometimes when I I, uh, uh, talk to people who are looking to get married, who are in premarital counseling, I say to them, there is nothing harder that you will do every day of your life than being married. Because you do that every day. And I say, it is like the Christian life in that the only other thing you have to do or be every day is a follower of Jesus. You, when, you, when you become a follower, you don't follow on Monday and stop following. There is a lifelong process of being converted. And so when, when, when we see conversion, we have, to, we have to think of a turning or a returning to God. And some of you have already been converted, but I want to suggest to you that, that there is room for us as followers of Jesus and certainly room for people who are what the book calls outsiders to convert and to follow this Jesus. Salvation and conversion is both backward-looking and forward-looking. It's, it's something that God, uh, that God sets in place for who we were, and that is sinners, and for who we are, and that is participants in the kingdom of God. And, and the church has to hold both. We have to be able to communicate that Jesus Christ loves us, that Jesus Christ left glory, left the wealth and, and, and wonder and grandeur of heaven, left the wonder and grandeur of glory, took sinful flesh, lived a sinless life so that, so, so that we would not have to live the life we never could live. And he died for us because of his love for us. That is a part of the message. It is is true to say that Jesus died to save you from your sins. That Jesus died to save me from my sins. That, though, is only part of it because that's where God saves us from our sin, from our evil. Paul says uh, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. We talk about the wages of sin, but the other side of that is the gift of God, which is eternal 
life. And can I tell you that you can be saved from sin, but you can also be saved for the kingdom of God. In the Gospels, Jesus engages people, interacts with people, and calls people into the kingdom of God. And, and Preacher Dan never talked about this element of conversion. Um, a Preacher Dan, I think that's his name. Preacher Dan is, is the guy who was on the quad at U of I uh, after, every afternoon, every day. He was on the quad. He was an embarrassing fellow. because. And I was a Christian in college. And I'm thinking, coming out of, you know, uh, English 101. And he's, you know, spewing truths, uh, if you will. And, and he's telling people, you need to, to get saved uh, before you die and go to hell. And, and he was mean. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm a, I'm a Christian and you embarrassing me. I'll keep walking, you know. And I never sat to listen to the rest of his message because he never said anything else. When Jesus talks to people in the Gospels. He never asks people to pray sinners' prayers. He asks folks to follow. And so in Mark chapter 5, we come upon another example, another instance of Jesus uh, uh, embodying the kingdom of God, embodying the kingdom value and, and the ethics of the kingdom of God. And, and I want you to hear uh, this passage, to read this passage that we, will, that we will hear and read together, thinking about this being an example of the movement of God, this being example, an example of the kingdom of God. God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 5. If you don't have your Bible, uh, look at the screen. Let's read Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I love congregational input, and since most of you don't say amen, this is the only time I can get you to open your mouth. Uh, so I want you to read with me. Uh, if I drop out, you keep reading because I have a lot more to say. So uh, Mark uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, all right? If you read slow, speed up. If you read fast, slow down. But everybody, let's, let's read this together. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into shackles, chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Keep reading.
He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. Everyone was amazed at what he told them. It's the word of God for the people of God. Each time Jesus performs a miracle, exorcises demons, heals someone who's sick, resuscitates someone who uh, dies, appears to be dead, we see the kingdom of God on display. We see uh, what the kingdom is about. And this is another example here in Mark chapter 5 of uh, the kingdom that Jesus not only came to preach, but uh, that he came to embody. This is an example of uh, that kingdom. One of the interesting things about this passage is that, uh, and I'm not going to talk about the majority of what we read, um, uh, most of it is for, for context and to allow the, the, the passage to, to preach itself, but one of the interesting things about the passage is that Jesus uh, shows up and uh, the demons immediately uh, recognize him, they greet him uh, almost appropriately, and they, they start in with Jesus asking him to leave them alone, not to torture them, not to torment them. And it's kind of hilarious, actually. Uh, But here Jesus is uh, talking to a man who, uh, for all practical purposes, appears insane, and and demons are talking to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, look, uh, don't send us away. And at the time, demons or spirits or or gods were confined to geography. And so they asked Jesus to let them stay in the area. Let us have this region. Let us have this area. I mean, it's not even a Jewish area. It's a Gentile region. Why are you here anyway? Let us have this area. And, 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 and so, so Jesus clearly is not interested in that because he already has said, come out of the man. And so the, the demons say to him, well, okay, send us into the pigs. And what I find fascinating is that Jesus gives the evil spirits what they want which is precisely what they don't want because the pigs then die. But when it comes later in the text where the man who wants to follow Jesus asks for what he wants, he doesn't get what he wants. And it's precisely what he wants. And that is to actually follow Jesus. Jesus in this passage 
is calling another follower. He's calling another disciple. And, and, and in the New Testament, when uh, Jesus or other rabbis called disciples, they were, they were calling people to, to come and follow them, to study with them as rabbis, and uh, eventually to imitate what they were doing. And so when someone followed after a rabbi or, or followed particularly after Jesus, they were signing up to, to be close to that person, to follow them, to study from them, to learn from them, and ultimately to imitate what they saw. And so uh, this young man in, in the text is just like the other disciples who eventually want to come to follow after Jesus. He's asking if he can come and study with Jesus, learn from Jesus, uh, so that he can eventually imitate what he has seen in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, now, 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 part of the problem with the church uh, that, that we're involved in, uh, the, the universal church, is that we, we've tried to minimize uh, discipleship or following Jesus, uh, which, is, which is where we get words like convert, conversion. We, we've minimized it uh, for the sake of efficiency, I think. Somewhere over, over the last 100, maybe 150 years, we started to narrow uh, the focus of what it was that you were doing or I was doing when we came to Christ. And we started using words like accept Jesus. And we started talking about personal savior. And we started talking about eternity and how if you died, you had to sort of, you know, it was kind of like car insurance or fire insurance. One of my mentors used to say, you know, you need fire insurance. So get ready rescue from hell by giving Jesus your life. Um, uh, and, and we minimized following Jesus to a decision that was not a long-standing, life-affecting decision. But when we look at scripture, discipleship, becoming a convert or converting to Christianity, if you will, was a lifelong process. It was something that you did and continued to do because you followed Jesus, because you studied with Jesus, because you eventually imitated Jesus. And so when, when, when I read unchristian, uh, part of this is sort of the theologian part part of me raising up and saying, but that word convert, that word convert is a good word because the truth is Christians need to be concerned just about getting converts because conversion in, in, in a literal sense means to change your life. It is not simply to check a box or to say, yeah, I did that, done that, now I'm, I'm past it. It is something that you are signing up for for the rest of your life. And if the church is about anything, it is about trying to get you and I to come to Jesus, to stay with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to eventually imitate what we see in Jesus. That's conversion. So I look at Sean and I say, Sean, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. We're interested in converts. I want you to convert. But it doesn't mean me taking a Bible and saying, you know, you're going to hell. It means me saying, let me tell you about a Jesus who didn't have to come here, didn't have to love me, didn't have to love you, but he loves you. Broken people, sinful people, people who uh, are, are trying to live a life, create a life for themselves that we can never create. Jesus comes and says, you're looking for life. Come to me. Can I tell you that God wants you to convert to that? 
God wants you to, to hear the truth that life comes from Jesus and for you to orient your life around that truth. Now, when, when, when Jesus uh, interacts with this man in Mark, we see a different picture of what is happening in our culture because what's happening for us and for people like Sean, for people in, in the chapter in Unchristian, for people that we work with or that we befriend or in our families, the problem is the perception of outsiders is that all we're concerned about is one decision. We're not concerned about life. You're not concerned about me. You don't want to know who I am. You don't want to develop a relationship with me. And, and that is a true perception. Because we've forgotten that, that, that Christianity is about your life. And so how do we promote, how do we live out or embody a Christianity that is separated from the true gospel? Uh, the, 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 the way um, one, of the, one of the folks who I grew up under said things like, we were so heavenly minded that we were no earthly good. We were just concerned about getting you saved from hell getting you saved from sin that we never remembered or recalled or reminded us, you, that God saved you for abundant life. God saved you so that in the case of this man, what torments you, what troubles you, what distresses you would be gone, would be removed so that you could live life. Jesus enlarges our understanding of salvation in, in this text. By the time we get to Mark 5, he is walking around sort of uh, as an itinerant teacher and preacher, and he's sharing a message about the kingdom of God. He's preaching about the kingdom of God, but he's not doing it alone. He's starting to step beyond the, the sort of uh, Jewish realm and region. He comes to a, to a Gentile or non-Jewish environment here and he's beginning to expand the borders of the gospel and he's not doing it alone. He's enlisting people whose lives he's changed. And in Matthew, we read of the Syrophoenician woman, the, that Canaanite woman who, whose daughter was uh, troubled and, and demon-possessed. And so uh, we see Jesus doing that and here in Mark, he's coming outside of that normal Jewish religious renewal movement and he's enlisting people who are outsiders who aren't supposed to be included he he's coming to a man in the Gerasenes and he's saying to him uh, this is the kingdom this is what it means to be involved in the kingdom of God and Jesus changes this man's life and their immediate effects to this man's uh, healing or to this man's deliverance and the immediate effects I think help us to learn about how our church can respond, how you and I individually can respond to becoming a follower of Jesus or living out the call to discipleship, as it were. When Jesus goes uh, uh, to the Gerasenes, there's a, there's a detail that we could overlook very quickly, and that is that when everybody else has, has cast this man aside, he has been pushed to the fringes, he lives in the tombs in the cemetery. He is alone and Jesus goes to him. Jesus shows up. Everybody else is away. Jesus, you know, Jesus brings a crowd, so he's not alone. And, and uh, he comes to this man. 
And can I tell you um, that that detail uh, should form how you live, how I live. And that is there are people that we ignore. There are people that we push to the fringes of society. You probably don't know this about me. Most people don't. Uh, I'm a very sarcastic individual. And uh, my wife will tell you that God has done some wonderful work in my life. And I don't mind saying that because I tell you, five years ago, it was very easy for me uh, to, to um, uh, tongue lash People and, and it's easier for me uh, to kind of go off on certain kinds of people. I, I know I can sort of look at people and say, yeah, don't say the wrong thing to me. It's going to be really hard for me to kind of live out my Christianity. If you, um, <clears throat> y'all pray for me, pray for me. Don't, don't talk about me, just pray for me. So, um, uh, but, but what happens is uh, I ignore the people who bring that part of me out. Because I don't, I don't want to be sarcastic. So oh, when I see, I have to sort of walk away. I have to, because I know the conversation is going to tempt me to uh, using my instrument in a bad way. <laughs> so I ignore people. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. Because the grace that happens in my life actually expands when I'm able to sit and talk to people who it would really be hard for me to be kind with and I actually get through it without being sarcastic. And when I see Jesus going to this man, I see him going to people, going to a person who is ignored, going to a person who, for whatever reason, people have sort of cast to the fringes and he's going and he's present with this man. Now, this is really simple, but... I want to suggest to you that our church has opportunity to be present, to show up with people, to be with people who are at the fringes, who are in the cemeteries, who are in the dead places. It's pretty basic. Some of you have come and you've asked, and and, and we love these kind of questions, you've asked, when we get over to Armitage, when we get this building, uh, are we going to have this kind of program? Because I've been thinking, and I, can, I, can I tell you that before we do anything like that, we should do something just by simply showing up. Jesus, Jesus shows up, and there's a part in this passage where after he's exercised the demons, after they've kind of, you know, jumped off the cliff with the pigs, Mark records a detail And he says that the crowd comes back and the man is sitting. He looks sane and he's clothed. Jesus is there, but Jesus is not talking. Jesus is not doing anything. The man is sitting. Can I tell you that some of the most Christ-like things that you can do is simply showing up. It's the Lord. This is Jesus. He's he's not talking. He's not teaching this man. He's not trying to tell this man anything. At least for part of that interaction, Jesus is there. The man who has been cast off is there. He's sane. And he and Jesus apparently are just sitting together. This needs to be a part of our ministry. In fact, it really is. But as we look ahead, it's going to be really hard to sit sometimes. 
because we love to do things. Most of you are, are so passionate that sitting is impossible. It's frustrating. It's irritating because you feel like, I feel like we should be doing something. But, but can I tell you that there are times that the most Christ-honoring thing for you to do is to sit. Jesus uh, listens to this man uh, and he is with this man and, and eventually the crowd comes back uh, and tries to push Jesus out. But, but one of the most missional things to do here is to be present. Now, for you who come to church on first and third Sundays and you drop out the second and fourth, it's kind of challenging because we, we want to be present as a congregation. Because there's certain things that we do as a people of God and we need to show up for it. We need to be here for it. So that when somebody comes who's been demon possessed, uh, whether that's because of uh, uh, social marginalization, whether it's because of sickness, HIV and AIDS, what have you, we need to be here together. One of the things I look forward to uh, and, and this actually happened two weeks ago. A uh, young lady came uh, and, and, uh, and had a conversation with me. And the conversation was all about uh, me getting to know her and, and her really reflecting on some of the things that God has done in her life. And I walked away from that conversation excited because people in our church right now are not just coming uh, to leaders uh, and talking about issues, but people in our church are coming and saying, God has brought me through this. And if somebody else shows up with anything similar, you can send them to me because I have been healed and I want to be a missional person. I want to live out my life trying to help others who are in similar situations. So if somebody comes up with a similar story, just give me a call. Jesus goes to this man. He heals this man. He exercises these demons. And the man is sent back into his, uh, his, his cemetery before, uh, before, before Jesus goes into the boat. The people tell Jesus, look, you've messed up our economy and you've got to go. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a swine herder. I'm a pig farmer, and now my business is gone. Isn't it interesting how how sometimes we look more to money than we do to people? Uh, and that's maybe a, a more uh, a conversation that we can get into later. But but Jesus says to them, "I'm sorry, Bethany. I'm breathing, and I know that's bothering you. Uh, that's a sidebar. Sorry." Uh, but, but Jesus says to this man, he says to this man, when the man comes back, Jesus, you're leaving. Can I go with you? Can I follow you? Jesus tells the man, no, you can't come with me in this boat. But what you can do is the harder thing. You can do what I cannot do. Jesus is being put out. And he's being asked to leave, and he's making his uh, departure, and, uh, and he's, he's leaving. The man wants to jump in the boat with him, and Jesus says, no, if you want to follow me, following me looks like you going home, and you engaging with your family, and telling them what I've done for you. 
Jesus tells him to go back and to talk to the people who know his history, who know his past, who have evidence of his issues, and to, and to explain and to show how God has changed him. In our church, this can happen on a whole lot of levels. You simply talking to your friend, not for the purposes of going to the question and uh, asking them, uh, and, and you probably wouldn't do that anyway, but, but the purpose being uh, they know you, they know your history, they know your past, and you are the best person can, to, to represent, to represent, to reposition Jesus Christ so that when they want to look at what it means to be converted, they see you. When they're interested in learning about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether you're new to the faith or whether you're serving, whether you're a maturing believer, you can show to the people that you love, the people that you know who Jesus is, what Jesus looks like. Let me finish by saying, when, when you represent Jesus, When you're connecting with people that you know, that you love, you are no more like God than at that time, representing the gospel in your own life. We are the kind of church that we are because of you. Hear that again. New community is the church it is because of you. So that, so that when we, you know, we get, we get, we have these feedback conversations, these critical conversations, and we talk about what the church is doing, what we're not doing, you know, we are the church that we are because of you. And if, if we are going to, to address the perceptions of people like Sean or people in your life, uh, the, the address is going to come through you, through you saying to Jesus, you have changed me. You have delivered me. You have blessed me. You have saved me. Can I follow you? And Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, but this is what following me looks like. Can I tell you, you need to be saved. You need to get saved from sin. You do. And you need to be saved for participating, engaging in the kingdom of God, in the renewal, in the reclamation of the relationships that are broken in your life. Bow your heads. Precious God, you are so interested in saving our lives. Would you do the impossible? Would you do what only you can do? Take our lives. Mold us. Take our lives. Shape us.
and make us followers of Jesus. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Pastor Michael, for giving us the word today. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week as we continue our journey through this book. Take care, you guys. Have a great week.